Welcome to the Plan Vision Podcast, where we share simple, straightforward investment and planning ideas for normal people. The description in this podcast is for informational purposes only. Do not construe this as personal tax, financial, or legal advice for your situation. Hello, this is Jason Lynch with another edition of the Plan Vision Podcast. Today is a continuation of a discussion that I started regarding Roth conversions and the puzzle of Roth conversion modeling. Today, I want to take a little bit deeper dive and talk about you know the tax liability and Roth conversions being critical parts of investing. When discussing Roth conversions, I found there are a few misconceptions out there. One of them is comparing the absolute value of the portfolio assets, doing Roth conversions against not doing Roth conversions. But comparing the absolute value to me is not the right question because it's not looking at the purchasing power of the portfolio. In other words, what is the value of the portfolio on an after-tax basis? Another item, another misconception is talking about the break-even point when doing Roth conversions. To me, the break-even point is a red herring, meaning it doesn't matter. The break-even point is actually today. It's not in the future. In fact, after making a Roth conversion, you are no worse off financially than if you did not convert. Now, you're also no better off. And let me explain how that is. James Lang has a great example of this. Assume you are in the 25% tax bracket. Assume you have $100,000 pre-tax IRA and $25,000 in the bank. On an after-tax basis, the IRA has a $75,000 purchasing power value. Plus your cash, 25, equals $100,000 of purchasing power. Assume you convert today. Well, you now have $100,000 in your Roth, and then you paid the tax using your after-tax money, your $25,000. So now your purchasing power is still $100,000. So you're no better off or worse off. The break-even point is right now. Okay, a third item. If your marginal tax rate is exactly the same now as in the future, there is no difference whether or not you make a Roth conversion. Number four, the rate of return in your different accounts really don't matter either. But we urge you to put your higher expected growth assets in your Roth. And you could also put in some tax inefficient assets such as REITs. REITs are expected to grow and they are tax inefficient. So they should not be in a taxable account. They should be in your Roth or in a pre-tax account. We also think that bonds should be loaded up in a pre-tax account. You don't need to have bonds in your Roth account or even your HSA for that matter, but that's going down a, a tangent. Okay, great. So should everybody make Roth conversions? No, there's actually a number of reasons not to convert. 
Some have to do with your beneficiaries. If your beneficiaries are charities, charities don't pay tax. So they don't care if they inherit cash or securities, IRAs, Roth IRAs, whatever. They don't pay tax. So charities do not need Roth assets. Don't convert to Roth and then leave the Roth assets to a charity. Also, your beneficiaries. If your beneficiaries are in a lower tax bracket, you want to keep that in mind as well. Think of mom and dad in California making Roth conversions at a high rate. And let's say they live in California or New York. What if their beneficiaries live in a non-tax state, such as Nevada, Washington, Florida, Texas, et cetera? So you want to look at the total tax liability to see, does it make sense for mom and dad to, to convert at a high rate, knowing they're going to leave their Roth to the children? Some people want to anyway. That's fine. Um, what if you're going to be in a lower tax bracket? When you're taking RMDs, well, you don't want to convert at a high rate and take it out at a low rate. Um, what if you're going to be in the exact same marginal tax bracket? Well, I think you should still convert. And the math proves that out. Um, finally, if you don't have the funds to pay the taxes and to cover your living expenses, you don't want to convert as much to Roth. You're going to end up taking more money out of your pre-tax IRA because you're going to need money to pay the tax on Roth conversions, and you're going to need money in order to pay for your living expenses. And another comment for our clients, particularly, who think they may move to or live in a country that does not recognize the tax-free distribution of Roth IRAs, and they are out there. So those are reasons why not everybody should convert. Okay, let's go into if you decide to convert, what are the different variables that you should be thinking about? Well, as I alluded to earlier, the marginal effective tax rate today and the expected tax rate when RMDs do begin. You want to be cognizant of the IRMA tiers. Now, note that paying higher Medicare premiums is not a deal breaker. You just need to be cognizant of the tiers and the levels. And don't forget that paying additional Medicare premiums now, paying higher IRMA tiers now, may prevent future IRMA tiers that are even higher than they are today. Uh, another variable is the net investment income tax. If you're over 250 AGI, there's also always the trade-off. If you can harvest some 0% long-term capital gain rates. Another item I mentioned, the availability of after-tax funds in order to pay the conversion taxes. And of course, your ongoing living expenses. Now, a critical issue is how much of the Social Security benefits would be taxed if you perform Roth conversions. There's a phenomenon in the Internal Revenue Code that actually creates a marginal tax rate of over 
It's often called the tax torpedo. And that's because if you're in the 22% tax bracket and each additional dollar of income creates another dollar of social security to be taxed at the peak of the tax torpedo by paying tax on the additional social security benefit and paying tax on your Roth conversion, you're subject to an effective marginal rate of 40.7%, even though your tax bracket is only the 22% bracket. And this is federal. I'm not even talking about state. Now, in general, many higher income households are already including 85% of their social security benefits in taxable income anyway. So they don't have a tax torpedo. Um, I also encourage clients, people that are considering Roth conversions, if you need to claim benefits to maintain or improve or, or you know, help your lifestyle, by all means claim. If you don't need the money, I urge you to consider delaying your benefits, at least while you're making Roth conversions. Okay. Uh, another critical area is called the capital gains bump zone. And that's a term used by Michael Kitsis, who's a well-known blogger and expert in the field of wealth management and taxation. Kitsis does great work. Uh, he has a blog called The Nerd's Eye View, and I encourage you to uh, get ready for some heavy-duty uh, writing. And he has great great examples in there as well. Okay. Now, the capital gains bump zone, that is when long-term capital gains are taxed at 0%, but after making Roth conversions and effectively using up that 12% tax bracket, the 0% capital gains bracket means any additional dollar is taxed at income tax rates of 12%. Okay. But now the long-term capital gain has jumped to 15% rate. Therefore, the ordering rules using or under the Internal Revenue Code mean that Roth conversions effectively, again, are moving you from a 12% marginal tax bracket to a 27% effective marginal tax rate. Okay, now for those of you still with me, what if we add the social security tax torpedo with the capital gains bump? The effective marginal tax rate is 49.95%. Wow. Now, again, this is for somebody we're looking at the possible 12, 22% tax bracket. Okay. Now, another situation that I look at, that we look at is when we have high wealth individuals that have minimal income, but they have substantial brokerage after-tax assets, they have hardly any ordinary income, but they might have qualified dividends and other capital gain income well over $100,000. And as we know, in that case, the first $83,000 for them is actually a 0% capital gains tax rate. Then they move into the 15% which 
they probably get into 18.8 capital gains rate when including the NIIT when their AGI goes over 250. And then we throw on the effects of moving into a higher IRMA tier. So there's a lot going on. It's not just looking at my marginal bracket today and my marginal bracket when I think RMDs will hit. All right, still with me? Okay, so Ben Franklin, death and taxes, right? Okay, spoiler alert, we won't live forever. For married filing joint, after the first death, the year after the first death, the survivor will have to start filing a single. Now, the total income won't change, may not change a lot. Social security will be reduced, but the RMDs should be comparable. So the survivor will be pushed into a higher tax bracket. And that's often referred to as the widow, widower tax penalty. Okay. But what that means is in the year of death, Roth conversions can generally be a great idea. Now, not for the decedent's IRA because they've passed and, and you cannot convert you know, their account, their IRA, but the survivor can definitely convert and if the survivor, surviving spouse ends up uh, treating the IRA as their own, if they get all the paperwork done, that last year where they do married filing joint, the survivor can convert. And that might be the last year of having effectively lower tax rates. Okay, uh, that was pretty good. So. That wraps up a quick overview of the variables involved with Roth conversion modeling that we look at. There are more, there's always different variables, um, but thank you for listening today. And certainly let us know if you have any questions. Thank you for listening to the Plan Vision Podcast. Let us know if you have any questions or comments on the topics covered. 